Welcome to Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics, the podcast where two brothers talk about comic books. Uh, I'm one of those brothers, uh, Kevin Hines, and I'm here with my other brother, Will Hines, that's me. Yeah, Uh, we are UCB performers and comedians and teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. That's right. Uh, It's located in New York and Los Angeles, and one of us is located in each of those coasts. You'll never guess which one, baby. Deals, deals, deals. Uh, You just gave it away. I'm the L.A. brother. Yeah, Uh, and I'm the New York brother. I'm sitting here on the middle of the N train recording on my way uptown. (laughs) You're, You're for real. Yeah. You're an authentic New Yorker. Yeah, I'm not going to – I can't afford an apartment, so I just live in this subway, and that's as New York as you get. Yeah. Aren't you meeting up with uh, Bobby De Niro and Marty Scorsese later for your doo-wop group? Yeah, we're meeting at a diner, um, and then we're going to head out to a parking lot with some 40s and sing. <laughs> I like that you guys do that. Yeah, it's nice. I don't fit in as well with those guys. I'm <laughs> As old as I am, I'm much younger than them. I'm meeting up with Tom and Julia later. We're heading up into the hills. Just uh, we're doing a little TM, and then um, and then uh, we're all each separately going to make twenty million dollars. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's that's a, a pay cut for those guys. Yeah, they're, them. It's an indie movie. For you, it's life changing. <laughs> yeah, it's a life transforming amount of money. But and I have to hold on to the side of a plane, which I'm upset about. But I'm going to do. Yeah, <laughs> Tom just gets off on that now. Yeah, every movie. Yeah. It's, or just in his free time. They're like, are you filming something? He's like, nope. <laughs> and he just grabs onto a plane. Those Mission Impossible movies are great. They are. I love them. There's a, it's a weird thing about modern uh, – it's weird like when a thing that when, – when there becomes a good version of something where there didn't used to be a good version, like – Stupid action movies used to mean used to mean like well it's a bad movie but the act this you know the special effects are kind of fun or something like that, and then it became like actually this is like a good action movie. Yeah, I, I actually think like video games is what broke the is figured out how to do it like just a minimal story sequences of little feats being accomplished. Yeah, like watching Mission Impossible is like watching a Twitch account of Tom Cruise win a video game called Mission Impossible on expert mode. <laughs> Yeah, a few more quips than a video game, but otherwise I think that's true. I was actually on a podcast recently called How Did This Get Played by Nick Weiger, well, that's hosted by Nick Weiger and Heather Campbell, where they go over video games. Mostly, I think I think it's supposed to be mostly bad video games. And then they, the guest talks about their video game experience, and I was the guest on the most recent episode, as Kevin and I are recording this. I don't know how it's actually going to fall. You know, it'll probably be a couple episodes old by the time this episode of our podcast released, but... We, and we did a game called Surgeon Simulator, which was like hilariously on purpose insane. Um, but I talked about how I didn't play video games at all until a year and a half ago when the Spider-Man video games came out. And then I got <laughs> completely obsessed. <laughs> you went from Zork to Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. It fun. It's a big jump. And I was just talking about how good video games are, like how, how they can be truly affecting because yeah i still think about that but i just very very recently posted a video on our screw it spidey account which is sort of uh, our instagram account screw it spidey which i don't post to very much um but i posted a web slinging video from spider-man far from home because i had posted web slinging videos from the one from andrew garfield and one from toby Maguire already and i felt like i needed to complete that yeah it's a really good one that that uh that 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 trilogy of of videos um 
And uh, what was my point? Oh, and when I was posting that, someone responded going like, oh, yeah, I love these sort of shots. That's why I just sometimes play this video game and just swing around the city. And I get it 100%. It's fun just to swing around yeah. the city and not do anything. Uh, I don't know how that's possible, but it is. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we're not here to talk about Spider-Man or we, Mission Impossible. <laughs> we're here to talk about The Incredible Hulk, actually. Yeah, um, we're finishing up. This is the end of our third season. We're finishing up our Hulk uh, arc. That's right. Um, so we covered the first six issues of The Incredible Hulk, which is the first six issues of his own comic, and then it got canceled. Mm -hmm. um, and then he sort of did guest appearances in various comics and then became the permanent guest star or whatever of the comic co-feature. Okay. The permanent co-featured character in the Meg in the comic tales to astonish. And so we're going to cover the first two issues of that because they're each half issues. Yeah. And then that's sort of going to be it. We'll talk a little bit about what follows. We're not going to continue on through the tales to astonish run. Um, we just want to kind of see him yeah. off into Tales to Astonish. And maybe we'll come back in the future to do a different area era of the Hulk run, perhaps. We might do a Peter David something or who knows. But um, that's that's going to be it for the Hulk for right now for us. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and as Will said, like he sort of drifted around. He showed up in the FF a few times. Um, and then he fought Spider-Man and Thor and maybe Iron Man, definitely Ant-Man. Um and then he kind of took over a co-feature spot in Tales to Astonish along with Ant-Man and stayed there so long that Ant-Man got canceled, replaced by the Submariner. And then it was Submariner and the Hulk for a while. And then eventually, when Marvel finally was able to have more comics out, uh, Submariner, I think, spun off to his own book. And the Hulk um, took over Tales to Astonish and just became called the Incredible Hulk. And he just took over the numbering. That's right. So, like, when I was reading the Hulk at issue 200, that included a hundred and some issues of Tales to Astonish. Right. Um, it's interesting. So, and we're going to go over issues 60 and 61 of Tales to Astonish. And, and these are available if you get one of the epic collections. The second Hulk epic collection includes these. So, I forget what that is called, but the first one includes issues one through six and all his guest appearances. Yeah. Up through... His guest appearance entails to astonish with Ant Man, which is like issue fifty nine, and then the next epic Hulk volume starts with issue sixty of Tales to Astonish, which is where we are. So, if you want to read along, that's the volume to get. But again, we're only doing the first two issues of it. I love when collections do a good job of getting all the um, like random appearances together for the completest people who want to know they've read everything. And uh, Marvel often does a good job of that, or I guess all the companies do. But I love when that happens, when it's like, oh, yeah, you buy these two collections, you're getting everything. It's like, oh, thank God. Sometimes I don't want it. Sometimes I don't. I don't want it. If I'm buying a um, a run, I don't necessarily want, like, every appearance of those characters because I, I tend to buy books for the creators. Right. But it's a little different when we're talking about, like, this case because the Hulk didn't have a title for a while. Yeah. And in a weird way, this was sort of the stealth Hulk book. Yeah, and it's like... It's also the history, you know, this is like the formation of what would become a huge character. So it is kind of interesting to see. Like, I, I, I was curious, and maybe we can just segue right into this. I think the most interesting thing that's happening in these issues is the mechanism of the Hulk's transformation finally becomes what we know it to be. More or less. There's still a little tweak left. Um, yeah, but it's pretty close. It's real close, yeah. Like, um, and so, like, I liked... So... In the first six issues of the Hulk, 
He transforms a variety of ways. First, mm-hmm. just at night. Then he has a machine that does it. Um, well, then, then he's stuck as the Hulk. He's stuck as the Hulk for a while. Then the, he, then he gets a machine that can turn him back and forth whenever he wants. Then it seems the machine starts to be kind of going on the fritz, sort of. And that's how we leave it. Yeah. And then over these guest issues, we see that he starts to transform against his will. Like he just sort of changes into the Hulk and changes back. And that's very close to the what the Hulk that we know. But there's no reason for it. Like it just happens randomly for a while. And then in the first Ditko issue that we're going to go over today, he determines that it's when he basically gets emotionally excited. His, his heart rate increases. That transforms him into the Hulk. Yeah. Though during this period, also then when the Hulk gets stressed, he, he turns, turns back, back to Which Banner. is really dumb. Yeah, that's really dumb. And later on, it'll become when the Hulk calms down. Yeah. That he becomes Banner. So it's like whenever he's sort of, and the Hulk is just sort of naturally excited. Yeah. He's an enthusiastic fellow. Yeah, that's right. So, um, and that, of course, makes the most sense, right? Banner gets mad, turns into the Hulk. Hulk chills out, turns into Banner. That There's like a, yeah. it feels right. It feels right because the Hulk just feels like a, a being of anger. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, I, for example, I like having the guest appearances to sort of track that. Like, I like yes. seeing that, oh, in the first two Avengers, he never even turns into Banner. Uh, and in the FF, we don't really see him as Banner, I don't think. But then, like, in this... At the very end, Rick Jones pops a pill into the Hulk's mouth that turns him back into Banner. Yeah, and then... Um, but in, in one of these, like, Dick Ayers things, he just... Tra- he just Banner just changes into the Hulk while he's driving. Uh, I forget which one that even is. But in, like... Yeah. Might be in an Avengers, or it might be in the Tales to Astonish issue where the Hulk is just a guest in Giant Man's story. Yeah, maybe. But um, it's not Ditko who first does the arbitrary changing thing. It is Ditko who ties it to blood pressure. Yeah, he sort of just has like a couple panels where they explain what's happening. Ditko's kind of good about that. He's really good. Um, all right, so let's get. Should we get into this issue? Uh, okay. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So this is Tales to Astonish issue sixty, which has a co-feature with Giant Man and the Wasp that we're not going over. We're just talking about the Incredible Hulk section, which is an eleven-page story. Yeah, and it's drawn by Steve Ditko, the creator of Spider-Man. And uh, and that's part of the reason we wanted to cover it. He uh, Ditko is on the title until issue 67, and we love Ditko, so seeing a little bit of Ditko kind of take ownership of the Hulk was fun for me. And it's weird just to think there's a time in Marvel Comics when you could just sort of get one of the greatest comics creators of all time and be like, hey, could you just do this for a little while? Jack Kirby yeah. created... So it's like, it'd be like... a. And, and it was created by Kirby, right? So it's handing off from one of the greatest comic creators of all time to the other one. I mean, it's it's like if Scorsese, it's like if Francis Ford Coppola does the first two Godfathers, and then and then they're like Fellini, can you do the third one? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or something like, like if when Michael Jordan retired from the Bulls, LeBron said, "I'll take over." Yeah. Um. And uh, and I, you know this. Really, Marvel was, uh, uh, to, to use an analogy that I'm going to hate immediately, was sort of the Yankees of, uh, so of comic power. books. Just an embarrassment of riches. Yeah. Because even after uh, Kirby and Ditko leave, you know, they get they get such great people on board making such great comics. You know, Gil Kane uh, is one. John Romita, of course, is Wally, one. Wally Wood does a lot of work for Marvel. Um, yeah. Uh, St- Steranko is unbelievably uh, uh, talented. Steve Gerber, like these people just come Starlin. on and just do like really cool stuff. Starlin, yeah. 
Uh, it doesn't feel we're fair. We're missing a big one. Roy Thomas? He's, he's terrible. <laughs> you hate Roy, <laughs> Roy Thomas, Thomas, of course, is huge. Uh, Gary Conway, I think, is I still good. I actually don't know a lot about this particular thing I'm going to say, but I know that Stan in the 60s like auditioned a lot of writers to do stuff for Marvel. Like he would, you know, hire them to do like an issue or two, like freelance. Yeah. And he was sort of shopping around for somebody to hire. And Roy Thomas ends up being the one that he does hire. This he's and who's very young at the time. And I right. think, and I think Roy Thomas is terrific. But among the people he hires and tries is Jerry Siegel, the original writer of Superman. But he doesn't like Jerry's stuff. He's um, probably right. I mean, I'm sure he's right. I mean, I think that. Of all the criticism of Stan for taking too much credit, which is a fair criticism, Stan was really good based on just results at assessing talent. Like, he just assembled incredible people. Yeah. Um, he took advantage, basically, I think, of the downturn of the mar- – no, this is me speculating, although I'm, I, I, I'm fairly confident in this. Wages – like, Comics just were losing all kinds of money in the early 60s before the Marvel Renaissance, basically. So people weren't making that much money. So, like, a lot of the top guys didn't have regular work, which meant they were, like, ripe for the picking to, like, do freelance stuff. And Stan took advantage of that in a smart way to get, like, really good people doing stuff for Marvel. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, Gene Colan. He even brought Bill Everett in for a little bit, though. I think Bill Everett was didn't do good work. Uh, or it was slow. It was very slow, I think. Maybe had drinking problems. And Bill Everett was like a legend at that time, right? He Bill Everett was the original Submariner guy. Yeah. So, you know, Stan knew his stuff. Like, he knew who was good in the industry. And um, so, the, actually, the fact that Roy Thomas is the one that he picked to be, I think, his first full-time writer that he hired, to me means, like, Roy must be, like, the shit. Like, he, I... I, I that is a it's a it's like i don't know it's like when conan o'brien hires a comedy writer it's like man you must be good that's very that's a very inside baseball metaphor but it's true yeah, yeah, like yeah. conan o'brien like famously hires like he's like super strict about like comedy writing yeah except it's even stricter in a sense because it's like it, it, if conan today was hiring the first writer he ever hired to work with him yeah, who would it be? Like, because like Conan hired a bunch of writers when he was. I mean, he hired amazing writers to work on his original show, but Conan wasn't anyone. Yeah, Conan was just another writer. Yeah. So, but it would be like now that Conan is sort of established, and they're like, okay, who are you going to hire to work on your show? You yeah. need one other person. Yeah. Whoever you ended up picking it would be like, wow, you, this this person must have really impressed you. Um, all right, so here we go. Ditko's Hulk. Uh, let's get into it. So what do we think of the cover, Kevin Hines? There's not much to the cover. The cover is a split um, image of just Giant Man and the Wasp kind of doing their thing and the Hulk kind of walking towards yeah. the camera. I say it's the greatest Hulk cover of all time. Well, interesting, interesting. Uh, I mean, it feels like it is establishing that the Hulk is in this comic and that is an accurate cover, at least. Yeah, that's all I, that's all I care about for my covers. Splash Page has an unusual, even for Stan, number of hype hype comments yeah it's just a picture of banner looking forlorn at a desk and the hulk sort of standing behind him holding his shoulders like looming over him very spider-man uh splash page yeah with general thunderbolt ross and a kind of gray-haired betty ross yeah at least the reprint we're looking at the coloring of her hair is very weird i don't know if that's true in the originals um listen to all the stan text on this page it's 
At the very top, it says, it just had to happen, which doesn't make make any sense. Yeah. And then it says, the Incredible Hulk has finally been awarded his own series, which he had and was canceled. Yeah, he already had his own series. You took it away, so he's finally got another chance. And he's only half of it. And then the next balloon says, beginning with this issue, Old Greenskin. I love when Stan does stuff like that. Yeah. Old Greenskin and his fun-loving friends. Fun-loving friends? (laughs) Thunderbolt (laughs) Ross is not a fun-lover. This is the least fun-loving book, probably, of all the Marvel books. Uh, will be co-featured. Like, Doctor Strange has more laughs. Yeah. Will be co-featured each and every month, as long as you can stand it, weird threat, in Tales <laughs> to Astonish. Um, I mean, Stan's, Stan is the best. He's so fun, but he doesn't make a lot of logical sense in what he says. And that's a lot of text. That's probably all the text that's on this splash page. Oh, there's no, actually, a whole paragraph more, Kevin. <laughs> Oh, wow, okay. Down at the bottom, starring the world's strangest mortal who dares to ask the burning question, can a man with green skin and a petulant personality find true happiness in today's status-seeking society? Which is not an accurate description of what this comic is. Well, I, I assume that must be a parody of like some article that was getting – that sounds like an Esquire article or like a New Yorker article or something, you know, like – or a Life magazine. It, it sounds like he's making a parody of like current – then current media zeitgeist things. It's also a little joke in the uh, creator box too. Uh, written by incredible Stan Lee, illustrated by incredible Steve Ditko, inked by incredible George Bell, lettered by inedible S. Rosen. It's pretty good. Yeah, a little pretty joke. Good. Pretty good. Um, all right, so we're we're off. To me, we're off to the races. <laughs> we got that many Stan jokes. <laughs> It did go dry, and like I think we're off with a bang. So page yeah, one, and the, um, yeah. And the, the first page of story has uh, the first tier is just the Hulk in a cave uh, uh, against his will, turning back into Banner, and it's a really cool transformation sequence. Looks great. Um, this is this is good Ditko stuff there. You know, Bruce Banner by now is just always in purple pants, and I'm a I'm a fan of that. Like the guy just shops at Prince's clothing store in Minneapolis and buys all purple, which looks great when he turns into the Hulk for the green skin. Um, yeah, he goes shirtless a lot. And I've read through issue 70 this morning and he goes shirtless a lot just for long sequences. No one even gives him a shirt. Yeah. Uh, and I dig that too. Uh, he's hunky and, uh, and I'm here for it. So, um, I will say this, a lot of people accurately have said that Kirby probably draws the better Hulk. Yeah. I, than think, I agree. But this transformation sequence with him sort of writhing around is way more emotional than any transformation sequence Kirby gave us. That, you know, I think that's probably a fair generalization. Ditko tends to focus on emotions more than Kirby. Um, Kirby does it too, but I think Ditko does it more often, especially when they're like tortured dark ones. You know, Ditko's an emo dude. Yeah. I also think that Ditko didn't put as much time into this book as he did his other books. Yeah. This was probably his third book at the time he was doing it. Yeah, Spidey and Doctor Strange. Um, so some of these panels seem like kind of rushed. I think that top sequence he put time into, but he doesn't look like he puts time into the whole he also, like he would into a Spider-Man. He also didn't ink this, and he would ink Spider-Man. Yes, that's true. So he, I for, think that, for all I know, the inker is erasing stuff, so he doesn't have to have more backgrounds and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so we see that Banner is changing back and forth arbitrarily. He wishes there was a way he could stop it. Um, separately from that, we cut to the army base where Banner works. General Thunderbolt Ross is, of course, angry, um, <laughs> just just in general. And there's a giant red robot that Banner has built. Yeah, that seems out of his um, expertise. 
I mean, Banner's always, I mean, Banner's building incredibly dangerous things all the time on this yeah. base. Like, even if he wasn't the Hulk, you could have a comic just of Banner and his insanely dangerous weapons. Yeah, I mean, uh, he and Tony Stark have made this world a less safe place by far. Um, the bottom of the first page, we see that there is a spy who wants to get into this giant robot. We don't, his head is shrouded in shadow, which makes him look evil, and also we don't know who he is. Yeah, I will say this, through issue 70, it's never revealed. It's never revealed. Ditko loves the mysterious villain that you never know who it is, which is just a terrible story instinct. <laughs> it is not, only is it not revealed, It like this character kind of just goes away. I know. And it's unresolved. I know. That's so crazy that he thought that was like a good idea. Like He's so smart about so many things, but I really disagree with him on the, what if it's nobody and we never answer the question? I'm like, yeah, that, don't you hear yeah. that that's a dumb thing? Yeah, shrouding this character that can't be an established character because we've seen them all. Except for Rick Jones. If it was Rick Jones, it would be the only surprise I guess it could be. Yeah, even if we just find out who it is and what their story is, like if it's somebody new. Yeah. Um, so page two. What if it's Thor? Oh, what a great move. Now we're talking. What if it's Betty Brandt? Oh, that <laughs> Spider-Man's love interest sneaks off to New Mexico, yeah. climbs into this robot. Oh, I love it. So page three, page two of the story, uh, Banner... Um, I mean, Banner was there before go, going in to work on his robot, and now he's here in the base. General Thunderbolt Ross is mad at him for not having been around, but he's not mm-hmm. been around because he's been the Hulk. Right. And he can't explain where he was, and so Betty wants to know, and he's like, he won't tell her. So he's got this secret and sort of just uh, stressing him out. He goes to work And once giant- it starts stressing him out, something clicks in Banner's brain. He's like, wait, that's it. I know the answer. Now I know why I changed to the Hulk and back again. And there's like a little uh, page three, the bottom tier, a little explanation. Yes, it's like when his heart rate goes up and his pulse quickens and blood pressure goes up. That triggers yeah, this the change. Is, I mean, this sounds like real science, Will. The strain <laughs> must set off a chemical reaction in my blood cells, which cause them to change their basic atomic structure due to the fact that I was once bathed in gamma rays. Uh, the changing blood cells take on new characteristics, growing many times more powerful. That sounds like real so, science to me. Yeah. I like he's like, due to the fact I was once bathed in gamma rays, you were bathed like 30 times already. Yeah, you bathed yourself. Like, you're constantly bathing yourself in gamma rays. It's yeah. also weird here. They cite as his origin Marvel Tales Annual Number 1, Origin of the Hulk. But why don't they cite Hulk Number 1? It must have been a reprint that was more recent. Yeah. Um, and again, like... We're getting this out of a reprint, so sometimes Marvel changes caption boxes and reprints. Weird. So who knows? This might have been. We might be. This copy might be from originally from a Marvel Tales run or something. Um, page four. Banner is happy to have had this realization to understand at least what's going on. Um, then we see that he's inside the giant robot, which looks fun. And yeah, the robot is more of a suit. Yeah, it's like a giant exoskeleton, like a super Iron Man situation. Yeah, it's a little bigger than Iron Man, but otherwise it's the same thing. Uh, but then there's somebody snooping around while Banner's inside the suit. Uh, Thunderbolt Ross. Oh, no. Sorry, that's a little no. bit later. Uh, Thunderbolt yeah, Ross tells him that he's got to have it ready by 8 a.m. But then, yeah. yeah. Thunderbolt Ross yells at him. I skipked over that because it seemed uh, it's just, like a given. It's, yep. Yeah. Uh, right. There's somebody snooping around, the spy that we saw earlier. Banner chases after him, but that gets him very excited, and he turns into the Hulk. Yeah. And the Hulk leaps away. 
Yeah, and he's definitely leaping and not flying now. Um, by leaping away, because he's not interested in what Banner was interested in, he's just gone, which leaves the robot vulnerable, and the spy, climb, who we still don't know who it is, climbs into it and um, gets away with it. Yeah, he climbs in a suit, though, even though he's a spy, he goes to the robot test. Yeah, he heads to the 8 a.m. test that Thunderbolt Ross was yelling about as scheduled. So at first he's <laughs> just going to like do a better job than Banner. That's a good criminal. Imagine if someone stole your car but still like went to your job. Yeah, I guess I'd appreciate it. Yeah. Um, the robot starts like mess. You know, he, the, the basically the guy's using these maneuvers to test the robot, and it's really good at withstanding bullets. It can punch tanks. What if it was bad? What if it just got? What if it, the bullets riddled through the armor and killed this dude? That'd be a fun story. <laughs> the first thing they do though is they test it with a explosion. Yeah, they hit it with a a huge, a huge bomb goes off. Yeah, but it withstands it. So now the guy's like, okay, the tests are great. We see the thought balloon of the dude in the robot, and he's like, I'm going to take over the world. Villains in Marvel stories, especially these sort of not important Marvel stories, always go right to world conquest. Yeah. Thunderbolt Ross thinks Banner's in the suit, but they find out that uh, this spy has knocked somebody out earlier. Yes. And Thunderbolt Ross assumes Banner knocked that guy out so that Banner is evil. He's always ready to assume Banner is evil. Yeah. And he sends a tank after the robot who he thinks is Banner. Yeah, it's so crazy um, how quickly he assumes that. Like, there's no no one saw Banner knock this guy out. It's just this guy got knocked out and Thunderbolt Ross goes, it was Banner. That scientist knocked you out. That's right. But now the Hulk enters the fray. You're right. Hulk sees this robot. He thinks Banner must have built the robot to fight the Hulk because <laughs> the Hulk doesn't quite understand that he is Banner sometimes. Yeah, he thinks Banner is just another dude out there. At this point, Hulk is still talking in mostly full sentences. Uh, now I know Banner built it, made it super powerful, must have built it to defeat me. I think he knows that he is Banner, but he just, he can't remember everything Banner remembers. Well, uh, it, it's inconsistent. Okay. Um, so he has a cool little battle with the robot, throwing the robot around. It's kind of like a tie. Like they sort of, they don't, they can't yeah. defeat each other. Yeah. The Hulk, this robot can't hurt the Hulk at all, but the Hulk can't seem to hurt this robot. He throws it, he kicks it, he punches it. At one point on page, uh, looks like eight, he gets up on its shoulders and starts just pounding on its head like a little kid. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and the robot has, is unaffected. And then this is the dumb part. The Hulk gets... I guess they're saying he gets even more excited than he is. and that yeah, He's tri- so angry that he can't defeat this robot, he gets his, his heart rate rises. And he transforms back to Banner, which is the dumb part of our current Hulk mechanics. Yes. Uh, luckily, Hulk rolls down a hill before that so that when pe- people don't see the actual transformation, they just find Banner wearing the same clothes as the Hulk, yeah. lying unconscious where the Hulk fell. Yeah, shirtless Banner, purple pants. Yeah. And... Um, and they believe his story, that it's not him. Yes. They think a spy took a shirt. <laughs> Somehow his glasses are there. Do you see this on page nine? Yeah. Panel five? His glasses are just next to him. Yeah, he must have put... Hulk must have had them in his pocket the whole time. Yeah, they fell out of his pocket. I like Professor Hulk because oh, Professor Hulk wears glasses. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and solves that problem. So we're finishing the half story here, and it's left with Banner realizing he's going to have to turn into the Hulk again to defeat this robot. Yeah. But for the moment, he gets a little respite to walk away with his love interest, Betty Ross. Yeah, shirtless into the sunset. Yeah, and that's, that's it for the story. That's right. We go right into issue 61, a slightly better cover, Will. 
Uh, yeah, slightly better cover. The Hulk half of the cover shows him like trapped by a metal contraption of cables and the U.S. Army tanks and soldiers closing in on him. Yeah, and the title is Captured at Last. Splash page is even better than the cover. Uh, it's the robot on the top of a cliff and the Hulk like lumbering up or hanging by his fingertips, helpless, uh, with a transformation coming on him. Oh, it's actually the first panel of the story. It's not just like a splash page. Yeah, or is it... Um yeah, so the Hulk, since we've last seen him, the Hulk has tried to capture this robot again, I guess is what's happened. Yeah, or maybe it looks like it's redoing the end of the last battle a little bit differently, kind of. One of the two. Yeah, it's not made super clear to me, though he rolls down the hill again. Yeah, which makes it look like we're re-seeing the end of the last battle that we yeah. saw in the last issue. It's it's not made explicit. Maybe it doesn't matter for readers because um, they won't remember back then you know it was just sort of like here you go on the splash page there's a stan lee caption the most requested most eagerly awaited new series of the year another marvel first but how is it a first it's not a first of anything Mm -hmm. it's a second if anything it's a second issue yeah um i like that but you can't stop stan lee from declaring something to be a marvel first it's a hit yeah um so whether this is the retelling of the end of the previous battle or some new second battle, the Hulk rolls down a hill away from the robot, and so the robot feels that he's won and walks away into a cave filled with tons of scientific equipment. Yeah, it's, it's Bruce Banner's cave. Right. And uh, uh, Which is lucky for him, and he starts building stuff. Yeah, this guy, whoever he is, knows how to work with gizmos. Meanwhile, Banner yeah. is on his army base, not in the cave, working with stuff there. Yeah, he's building something to detect the robot. And then we get a new character gets introduced. Um, a very major uh, Hulk supporting character. Yeah, the bottom of page two, and then really on page three, we meet uh, Major Talbot. Yeah, it's sort of a love interest uh, for Betty. Yeah. He, lo- he falls in love with Betty pretty soon. He's got that Tony Stark mustache going, and Steve Ditko hair. He's got, like, Harry Osborn hair. He's also evil. He he or evilish. He hates the Hulk and Banner immediately. He's yeah. uh, uh, right in Thunderbolt Ross's uh, area. Yeah, he suspects Banner of everything. He's going to be an antagonist. Banner slips away, or Talbot and Betty Ross go to get a tour of the base. Betty's giving Talbot a tour of the base. Talbot's already interested in Betty, and they go to Banner's lab, and Banner's missing. That's right, because Banner's off looking for the giant red robot. Yeah, with a huge contraption. Mm-hmm. Um, Talbot and Betty continue a tour by helicopter ride. That's right. Uh, and the red robot tries to drop a rock on Talbot and Betty. Um, Banner sees this happening, is stressed out by it, and turns into the Hulk. That's right. And then leaps up and smashes that Hulk rock, that rock apart, uh, using his fists. Yeah, fast transformation, that means. It happened in the time of somebody hoisting a rock over their head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he's a hero. Um, Talbot shields Betty from the rock, so he's not like a total cad. He like... Yeah, he's not a coward or anything. He's not J. Jonah Jameson here. Right. Um, Which protects Betty, and he's got a little bruise, and she's worried about it. So maybe there's some romance of brew in there. Yeah. uh, Meanwhile, the Hulk just goes after the robot and starts pounding it like crazy. Yeah, they just start punching each other a ton. Uh, at some point, I think maybe we missed it. The robot refers to the fact that he, he's trapped inside this suit. Oh, I, oh, I don't remember uh, when we learned that. I, that. 
that must have been in the previous issue. The explosion must have fused it shut. Okay. Um, that's kind of uh, interesting. Yes, on page six of the previous issue. The force of the explosion somehow fused the hatch door shut. I can't get out. I'm trapped in here. But why should I care? I have all the room I need inside here. The robot can get me food, water, whatever I need. As long as I remain inside, nothing can harm me and the world will be mine. Okay, right. That's a normal re- realization when you're trapped <laughs> inside a robot. <laughs> world conquest is your next thought. Um, yes. It's also revealed here on page six of this issue that there's a just a bottomless pit nearby the cave. Yeah, that's right. Uh, can't let go. If I drop into the bottomless pit, I'll never get out, says the Hulk. Yeah. Smart. Um, the Hulk's still smart. Yeah. Um, now there's some missiles being, like, fired up to battle this robot. Right, because Talbot knows about the robot, so he, he would have alerted it. I mean, they know about the robot anyway, but he would have found the robot, so now the army's after it also. Well, and also the robot has built his own missile to shoot at the army. Oh, that's what it is. I got confused. Yeah. This is the robot's missile pointing at the army base. Okay. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, in the cave, uh, Robot and Hulk are still fighting. They're throwing rocks at each other. Oh, and then here, <laughs> <on> page <laughs> seven, the Hulk just throws the robot into a bottomless pit. The robot yeah. goes, no! Yeah. And that's it for the robot, right? Yeah, we don't see him again. <laughs> we never know who's in there. What an abrupt ending. <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe the robot comes back. I, I can't say for sure. I have not read a ton of Tales to Astonish, but he is out of the picture for a while. Robot disposed of. Hulk emerges from the cave. There's a lot of Marvel antagonists and villains who are just, like, buried alive forever. Like, we saw that happen yeah. a number of times in the Fantastic Four. Like, it's a pretty horrific fate. Like, I'm, I'm not totally sure these people all deserve it. You know, see, these these comics are for kids, and these villagers just get murdered and, like, buried alive forever pretty easily. It's pretty fun. Hulk emerges from the cave and sees the missile being fired at the army base, and he's a hero here. He stops the missile. Yeah. Bottom of the uh, That's right. Yes, he, he stops the missile. Do people see that happen? Nope. Oh, that's too bad. No one knows he's good. That, but the force of knocking the missile out of the sky knocks him out. He lands on the ground, which... I feel like should transform him back, but we are not yet there in Hulk mythology. So he just stays as the Hulk, even though he's unconscious, and Talbot finds him. Oh, right, right, yes. And then, and then t- calls Thunderbolt Ross. We don't know how he's calling him. There's no cell phones or pay phones nearby, but anyway, he's able to just make a phone call. And then uh, the army shows up and wraps Hulk in cables, and, um, and uh, they've got him like sort of Hannibal Lecter on a Dolly-style restrained with several tanks roll out pointing at him and as we leave the issue the hulk is trapped in this kind of metal straitjacket with at least three tanks pointed at him. yeah i mean that's it's it's curtains for the hulk that's over and that's going to be the end of the hulk which is too bad because i really like this character yeah uh it's how they got rid of him but it makes sense he had to go somewhere um why don't we take a break here kev yeah let's do it let's take a short break Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. 
Okay, we're back. Yeah. And the Hulk is still trapped. I guess overall it feels, even for Ditko, like a substandard book. Right. Like there's a couple good sequences, but it never really comes together where it's like, oh, page after page of like beautiful art. Uh, The dialogue is good, but nothing stands out to me. And I think it gets even more mediocre as it goes on in this initial Tales to Astonish run. The Hulk is still kind of a cool character, but there's nothing here elevating it like the Fantastic Four got elevated or Spider-Man got elevated. Right. It's just sort of run-of-the-mill, good, decent stories with a good character. It's, yeah, it's, it's certainly good. Pieces get put in place, though. Having Talbot in place is an interesting wrinkle. Um, and, of course, the leader gets introduced pretty soon, and that's a huge addition. Like, the, the, the Hulk sort of universe is getting improved. Yes. The leader comes in uh, in a couple issues. Maybe next issue. No, it's, after, it's a little more than that. Um, but very soon. Next issue, the chameleon shows up. So that's a, a Spider-Man villain. Kind of becomes a Hulk villain for a little bit. Right. Some good stuff happens. Uh, but I don't need any reason to kind of do awards. Also, next issue, Rick Jones comes back. I miss. I like having Rick Jones around. Uh, the leader is issue sixty-three, so there's it's two more issues. Right. So the chameleon is sent. We don't know who sends the chameleon, but we later find out the leaders who sent the chameleon, and the chameleon is who sent the guy into the red suit. Oh, okay. I didn't know they tied that up. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, that, I mean that's while it's connected. We never find out that guy's name. Uh, the leader, when he first shows up. He's also due to gamma radiation. We never, we don't hear his real name for a while, at least not in these stories, which right. I think is like Sam Stearns or something like that. Okay. But at this point he goes, who cares about my name? I'm the leader now. But he basically sends like these sort of sponge robots after the Hulk for a while. Uh, first he sends like a Nort one and then he sends like a bunch of them. Later mm-hmm. on he sends a big one or a little ones. It's, he does a lot with these sponge robots <laughs> that like Hulk can like punch and they don't seem to do any damage to it. The reason I bring that up is because there's some cool stuff like at the end of issue uh, 64, beginning of issue 65, where Hulk is like swarmed by these guys. Yeah. It's very Ditko to have like six of these guys sort of clinging all over the, the Hulk. The Blue Beetle fights a character like that. Oh, interesting. Um, it looks kind of like speedballish. Like Ditko just kind of likes that general design, or it looks like the Master Planners gang also from Spider-Man. Yes. The the scuba dudes. <laughs> um, it's kind of it's it's both funny and fitting that the Hulk's main antagonist is a dude whose gamma rays made him smart. I guess like yeah, made the Hulk strong and it made the leader smart. So smart that he's got a big old head. I think it was somewhere where I read an article, uh, Kurt. Pusaic and um, Alex Ross were discussing uh, what makes a good arch nemesis uh, for a hero. And a lot of times what they were saying is a lot of times what makes it fun is for it to be an opposite. Yeah. And uh, I think about that a lot. So like, you know, Superman is sort of all powerful, but Luther is just sort of brains. Right. Um, and the Hulk is brawn. He fights kind of just a smart guy. But also I think about it with... Um, Spider-Man versus Doc Ock, where Spider-Man sort of is jumping around and kind of moving constantly. And Doc Ock kind of stands still and lets his arms do all the moving. Okay, yeah, there's kind of a visual opposition there. Yeah, I think that sometimes, it's not for sure it's not always true, but there is something, I think like Batman and Joker just feel like 
two random things thrown together. I don't know why that works. Uh, order and chaos, maybe? I mean, Batman's a vigilante, but he's on the side of the law and rightness yeah. and justice, and Joker is like full chaos. There is some of that, though. Batman, if Batman didn't dress up as a bat, it would make more sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was some Twitter account back when Twitter was fun that would do like summaries of movies in deliberately like obtuse ways. And the summary of the Tim Burton Batman was an orphan fights a clown. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's, it doesn't, it doesn't always quite reduce down to clear opposites. Although obviously Batman and Joker work as hero and villain, but um, uh, uh, can we jump back to one thing in this issue that we skimmed by that I just remembered. That's very funny. Yeah. At the end of issue 60, the first issue, after the after Hulk is turned back into Banner, um, and Banner sort of remembering what happened, he's like, oh, so the robot I built is now a threat. So first I created the Hulk, that's a threat. Now I create another robot, that's a threat. This is all my fault. And he says, oh, right. General, there's only one thing to do. I've got to construct a second robot, even more <laughs> powerful than the first. It's the only way to defeat the other one. So... He realizes he should not have made this robot, and his first instinct is to make another robot. That is, I forgot about that. That is so funny. Also, a great comedy move. I mean, Banner yeah. would be good at improv. Yeah. How are you going to get that knife out of your leg? Second knife. That's right. Uh, that's a reference to uh, Talladega Nights. That's right. What do you What do you have to say about? So, have we said what we need to say about Tales to Astonish stuff, Kevin? I've lost. Track I think a so. Bit. I mean, um, during this run. Like, Kirby comes back for a little bit, and then after that, um, maybe Marie Severin does some. Herb Trimp eventually comes on. It just it certainly becomes established as sort of Hulk smash persona. Even by the time Ditko leaves, Hulk is sort of talking a little more simply. Uh, and, and other than, like, him becoming Banner when he's calm, the last few pieces are kind of coming into place. Yeah. I think there's some hiccups. When Kirby comes on, there's another short sequence where Banner controls the Hulk. Okay. Um, okay. But like it's settling into what works, which is Banner turns into the Hulk, gets angry. Thunderbolt Ross is always sort of chasing him, but the Hulk is needed to sort of stop these new supervillains that are proliferating the New Mexico area. I love yeah. I love watching um Marvel figure it out. Like what I one of the real things I really love about these early issues, and a lot of times they're actually not great stories, but as a fan of comics, they're interesting to see people just working it out. Like it's trying radically different things every issue. It's one reason why in the 90s when the clone saga happened with Spider-Man, where it was decided temporarily that Peter, the man we've known as Peter Parker has been a clone for a long time. Yes. Uh, and people hated this and this eventually got retconned out. But for a while that was true. Like true, you know, within the fictional reality of Marvel comics that like, and and he's he's this this guy that we have known as Peter Parker. The adventures that we have been watching for a long, long time have actually been a clone named Ben Riley, right? Who becomes yeah, known was, as Ben Riley? There was a story at some point, maybe in the seventies, where Spider-Man fought a clone. Can I tell you and that the I, clone I, was defeated? I had that issue when I was a kid because I also remember that the Spider-Man television show with Nicholas Hammond or whoever that was, the cheesy nineteen seventies. TV right. movies of Spider-Man where he's, you know, the, clearly the camera's been turned on his side or whatever. Um, there's a clone story in that, too. Like, cloning was like a thing in Spider-Man in the 70s. <laughs> and I remember as a kid reading the comic being like, that's cool, and then seeing the TV movies being like, I also like this. <laughs> yeah, but, but I guess what happened in the 90s is they brought that clone was not dead. He came back, 
And it turned out that there was a switcheroo in that story that the wrong Spider-Man won that fight. And so from that issue on, that we were following the clone and not the original Peter Parker. And so the clone basically retires. And the original Peter Parker takes over as Ben Riley. Okay, right, right. And pe- this is people hated this, right? Like this was unpopular and it never got to be good and it was like it's, yeah, it's seen as a mistake. Some people, I'm sure, liked it, but for the most part, it was considered dumb. It's, and it's, the reason they were doing it was because they were trying because Spider-Man was married, okay. and they wanted to make him young and and accessible and dating again. And the easy way to do that without killing Spider-Man or killing Mary Jane, they thought, was just to sort of switch to go the like, oh yeah, that one's done. Now here, let's go back to the one who's single. <laughs> so I I think that idea is sounds bad, and I. I don't necessarily like those stories, but the crazy impulse to go to your marquee character and do a crazy move like that fits in with Marvel history, I think. And it just as often produces good things as it does bad things. And I kind of admire Marvel when it like takes big swings like that. So that means you kind of have to accept the bad ones sometimes. Like, and that's a bad one. But reading, uh, yeah. these early Hulk, re- reading these early Hulk issues, this is at a time when Marvel was way more agile this way. They would just try anything. <laughs> but yeah, eventually Mar- you see them making the right decisions and the right things sort of winning out. Yeah, I think there was a stretch where Marvel sort of settled into ruts. The characters just kind of did their thing. And then uh, they started kind of every now and then taking risks with characters. Iron Man becoming a drunk. And getting, right. uh, uh, you know, Jim Rhodes taking over yeah. um, the black costume, I think, would be kind of a swing, even though it's just a costume change at first, it feels like. Uh, the thing leaving the FF. Right. All those things were sort of changes. Uh, I think nowadays Marvel takes lots of big swings because that's just sort of how they sell books. Or like, here's the thing. This this storyline now, here's our take on it. And then, like, each kind of new creator kind of comes in with their big Swing almost, yeah. uh, n- not necessarily clone Spider-Man big, but uh, sort of a new status quo change. Yeah. Uh, eventually, Marvel just to get to get Spider-Man to be unmarried, they um, he just made a deal with the devil. <laughs> Is that like, what happened? He, yeah, like so, Aunt May gets shot or killed or something, and Peter Parker to undo that makes a deal with Mephisto. And the repercussion of that is he's never been married to Mary Jane. Weird. And people hate that storyline. It's a really poorly written storyline. Um, but I mean, I think they were right in the instinct that uh, Spider-Man shouldn't be married long term. Yeah. I don't uh, know. I, I don't know. I, having this one bad storyline to get him unmarried. You know, you don't think about that anymore. You don't. They don't bring that up every issue. Uh, just one of the weird burdens of having a story last multiple decades <laughs> yeah it, it's it's strange like superman's married and people got mad when they made him single again and now he's just married again they just kind of un- so they for spite superman they undid him becoming single it's oh. like yeah, people seem to like him better married to lois he just seems like a straight ahead dude where he should just be settled down yeah. you can picture superman mowing the lawn or like burning it with his eyes or whatever <laughs> yeah right uh, that's kryptonite grass. I can't get it out. <laughs> um, uh, I, I was watching um, last night. I was trying to find the old Hulk 1966 cartoons, the okay. ones that were sort of uh, cut out animation, I guess. I don't know how else to describe it. Sort yeah. of just like very, very minimal animation. 
uh, and I was trying to find them, and they're hard to find. They're out there, but you basically find them on illegal websites because they're just not streaming anywhere. You can't buy them, as far as I can tell, or rent them. Yeah. They played uh, all the time like, when I was a kid. Yeah. The only way to find them now is to get like out-of-print DVDs. Okay. Uh, and I'm not going to do that. So I found some online, and I watched a few of them. And what's fun about them that I probably didn't realize as a kid is that they're just recreations of the issues we just covered well, a lot of them. Okay. Um, they definitely cover through the Toad Men story and the origin. They do Metal Master. They do a bunch of, they do these first few leader stories. Uh, and it's sort of fun to see these things. It's just, it's just Kirby and Ditko art uh, sort of sitting there moving a little bit. Kind of still looks good to me, weirdly. I was watching, I was like, I kind of love it. Yeah. I, I love the, that those things existed, that those cartoons came out and sort of made people see Kirby and Ditko art Yeah, before they maybe could appreciate what that was. Remember the crazy theme songs were really fun? The theme songs are all tremendous. Hulk's is great. It's funny uh, how it's, Hulk it's, was this uh, like The Hulk's totally... one is Doc Bruce Banner, <laughs> belted by gamma rays, turns into the Hulk, any unglamorous, or something like that. <laughs> Uh, Tony Stark's is really good too. They're fun. He's like a, it's like a swinging one, right? Tony Stark yeah. is like a swinging like Playboy. One. It's like Tony, Tony Stark is a real cool dude, and Iron Man is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a duet. It's real great. Uh, Captain America is the one that, that I really remember. That's like the big hit of those. I think. Yeah. It's like when Captain America throws his mighty shield, must yield. The red and the white and the blue comes through when Captain America throws his mighty shield. That one. Yeah. Uh, Namor's is pretty good. Th- oh, they right. Thor, they've all got him, too. Namor had one. That's so cool that Submariner was one of the, one of the yeah. series. He was one of the five of that. And then the Fantastic Four was separate and Spider-Man was separate. Yeah. That was kind of fun. Yeah. I dig that stuff. I don't know. I probably just have a sentimental attachment to it. I'm sure it's, like, <laughs> terrible. but They're nostalgic. They're real short. Yeah. Um, these cartoons. But there's something is fun about just seeing these comic books. I wish they were available for streaming. Because like, then I could say, oh, if you don't have the Epic Collections, just watch some of these episodes and you'll get a good taste of what they were like. Yeah. Um, you know, they still have, like, Thunderbolt Ross going, blankety blank. <laughs> it's relatively loyal. Like, they even keep in the bit where, like, Banner, when he first turns back into himself, he's buff for one panel. Oh, oh, interesting. And it's just like, oh, I'm stronger. And then it fades. And it's like, oh, yeah, just like in the comic. It doesn't really make sense in the comic, but they're very um, – they kept it in. I guess there's something sensible. It's like, well, these comics are hits. Let's just do these comics and see if it works on TV. Yeah. They don't seem to do the ones where Rick Jones controls the Hulk. Okay. I, I kind of – I think those are really good ones. I think they are really good, but it, maybe they just took them out because it's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this wasn't – Maybe it just wasn't unglamorous enough or whatever. Uh, do you want to do some emails before we talk about next uh, yeah, yeah. next episodes? Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, so we got a few emails here, Will. Michael Mulligan asks, uh, As two comedic guys who are into comic books, I assume you have an affinity for newspaper comics. If so, where or what were some of your favorites? Uh, any collection recommendations? Uh, my brother and I grew up reading Calvin Hobbes, Zitz, Blondie, and would always skip the more serious stuff like Doonesbury and Better for Better or for Worse. But it was always a race to get the paper Sunday morning until we became teenagers and preferred sleeping until noon. Love the show. Uh, Michael Mulligan. So, Will, what about you? Comic strips? 
Yes, I, I loved comic strips. Um, I read them all. I also was the kind of person, as I think a lot of comic book fans are, who would get like history of comic strip books and read about like all the old timey great ones that I had missed. Uh, the contemporary ones for me were, um, yeah, Calvin and Hobbes. But that, I was already sixteen when that started, so it was like Charlie Brown. What did I love? Calvin and Hobbes was a great one. Bloom County was a favorite. I also liked Doonesbury. It was sort of dense and political, but I kind of it was a grown up one, and I was sort of excited to read it. But I, it took. I was I was reading them long before I had any sense of what the good and bad ones were. It didn't dawn on me until years later that like oh. Ziggy is kind of lame. <laughs> yeah. And like, oh, the family circus is sort of cutesy and maybe the same thing every single time. Guildford yeah, was them. the soap opera that ran in ours that I think was just a Connecticut one because it took place in Milford, Connecticut. So I don't think that was like a national one. Uh, uh, I read them all as well. Like good, bad and ugly. I just didn't care. And like when a new one would start, I'd get very excited and they generally would be bad. Yeah. Um, and I didn't care. Uh, even in high school, I was reading. I, I got into a stretch where I was reading Prince Valiant every Sunday. Okay, yeah. Which was like just a. We only had it in Sundays in our paper, so it was just every Sunday that we. And maybe it was only Sunday anywhere, and it was just like text. But I was like, I'm going to read Prince Valiant and get into this. I decided. <laughs> and so for like six months to a year, I read Prince Valiant, and I started following it, and it was like, oh, this is pretty good. Yeah. But it was just you missed one week, and it felt like. Uh, it's been a month since I've read Prince Valiant. Who cares? <laughs> uh, Far Side was another great one. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, when we were kids. Uh, yeah, yeah, but Far Side, Bloom County, and Calvin and Hobbes were probably the trio of great ones. Yeah. And then Peanut, Charles, Charlie Brown was like the, the wizened, bearded guru on the hill, you know? Like yeah. the, the old one that was still good. I think by the time I was in high school, Peanuts was bad. But we had all these old little paperback collections that were great. And yeah. I used to reread those over and over and over again of Charlie Brown. And those were the best of anything. Yeah. Maybe Calvin Hobbes is the only thing that uh, tops it. 1970s Charlie Brown strips uh, are so f- truly funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Calvin Hobbes, of course, is incredible. And Bloom County. I feel like Bloom County has faded from popular culture memory, but it was like, it was so dominant in the eighties. Like Bill the cat was like a whole thing. Yeah. Bloom County was huge. I mean, he, Bloom County, Farside and Calvin Hobbs also all stopped, which no strips did right. Peanuts have been going forever with one creator, but every other strip would be taken over by the kid, the sons of the creators. Right. Although the kind of medium ones like Beetle Bailey, high and Lois, um, those would go on forever when the kids taken over, and they were all just Hagar, sort of, the horrible yeah, they were family sort of, circus. Right, they never will end. Yeah, I remember finding out like the Wizard of Id was like done by a right wing conservative guy, and then being able to sort of tell in the jokes that he kind of made fun of liberals a little bit, but it was sort of like not not so pointed that I could tell. Yeah, but there's something cool about those three big ones, kind of just saying like, all right, and we're done. Do you, do you remember Funky Winker Bean? Sure, that still goes on. That changed radically. Like when I was a kid, it was like a you know joke a day thing about a marching band kid in high school, and then it became like a drama or something like that. Yeah, I follow a blog called Comics Curmudgeon. Yeah, and he he covers a bunch of strips like daily, and he talks about. I don't read comic strips anymore, but I like reading this kind of blog that sort of makes fun of them. And he talks about Funky Winkerbean and Crankshaft. Yeah, the spinoff. But, and like one of them is in one of them is in the future of the other one. 
Oh, okay, crankshaft's probably in the future. So yeah, one of them spun off and it and it became like a thing like one kept aging and one just stays in its timeline or something. Which is also weird, but they are both just sort of dramatic. They both just deal with people dying of cancer every week. Weird. Uh, and it's very strange. It's very strange. It's funny. I remember so many strips when I was a kid, and like I, m- I remember I read Andy Cap every day and never understood it. Yeah. This British one with like a guy getting away from his wife so he could stay in the pub and play darts, which he called cricket. Yeah, I read um, things like Lockhorns, which is the same joke every time. Yeah, the feuding couples. Remember they'll do it every time on Sundays? Yeah. <laughs> Which was like the true stories that people would send in about just like, can you get a load of this idiot sort of stuff? Yeah. Um, um, yeah. yeah, I read them all. When I was a kid, I skipped Prince Valiant. Like I said, when I was high school, I decided to read Prince Valiant. But otherwise, I think I read everything else I could get my hands on. Uh, Spider-Man would sometimes be in our paper. And I weirdly didn't like the Spider-Man daily thing. There wasn't enough Spidey for me in that strip. I, never, yeah, I don't remember the Spidey strip at all being so. That, I don't know when that was in our paper or not. Maybe I just remember seeing it sometimes. But I remember being like, well, this is not enough here. Like three panels. I can't get into it. We didn't have things like Mary Worth or Apartment 3G. We didn't have a lot of drama ones in our paper. Yeah. But yeah, we liked comic strips. I don't have any collection recommendations other than I have the complete Calvin and Hobbes and complete Farside volumes. Yeah don't read them very often but i'd like that i have them like if there's an apocalypse i can still read my far side strips. is the far side well regarded i remember that being so funny but is that like uncool or something like that like i don't the- think so i mean maybe it became just overexposed because of the calendars for a while yeah but i think far side is considered good okay i mean i consider it good but sometimes i'll like something and find out that cool people think it's stupid and i'll feel i mean like you're honest. asking me if it's cool so i can't answer oh, yeah. that we don't know but we don't know i um, remember really but, I, but I think far side is considered the best of the single panel gag strips yeah well it really made me laugh justin bridge sent us an email okay uh it's a long one i'm only gonna read a part of it Hulk does seem to be settling into who he is. He is sort of writing himself. Maybe that's a testament to Stan as well, obviously, but most of the early Lee Kirby Ditko creations seem to sort of create themselves as they went along. So far, your pod has only looked at the initial runs by the original creators, but man, if the characters aren't fully formed or near fully formed by the time Lee leaves the title, uh, which I think is true. Which brings me to my question. Should characterizations ever change? Or are they the core fuel that makes us want to return to the characters I mean, kill off all of Peter's friends and allies. Okay, we want to see Spidey overcome this because we know he has an ironclad sense of responsibility. We know it'll be okay. But make Peter not care anymore? For more than a storyline, would we want to see that? Do we want to see with great power comes great opportunity, Spider-Man? He basically is asking that. Should these characterizations ever change? Yeah. And I think not... uh, I think for sometimes no and sometimes yes. It's a stupid answer. Like Daredevil changed, right? Yeah. Changed a lot. Daredevil used to be sort of a flippant, silly, fun-loving Spider-Man ripoff. And, uh, um, yeah, then he became a brooding, noirish ninja dude. <laughs> yeah, and that's what stuck. That's that's Daredevil. Yeah, I think it's like once they get good, they lock in. And if they're not good, it's always open to be changed. I mean, I would even say Iron Man has changed because of Robert Downey Jr. That's probably true, yeah. We, we, we retroactively have made Tony Stark more like Downey than, than he it was originally like a Hugh Hefner sort of guy or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, what's true to Iron Man also is like the the spirit of the original Iron Man was like he had to be Iron Man. He had to be Iron Man to stay alive. And that part has not stayed important to that character, even though they was in the movie initially. Yeah, it seems crucial and like it would make it a good story. But it does. I guess it gets in the way of lots of adventures. So they just kind of got rid of it. He always it just it reaches a certain point. It's like, why wouldn't he just fix this? Yeah. If he's able to just fix it. Yeah, he's able to you know, figure out time travel, but he can't get shrapnel out of his heart or whatever. So I do think they should change. I, I don't, I think some, I think sometimes if a book gets bad, it's best to look back to those original stories and be like, what, what do we, what do we lose? What, do, what's missing? Yeah. Or what look back to the best run, if not the original stories. Yeah. That's for Spider-Man. That would be the original books. And for fantastic four, that'd be like, you go back to Galactus and be like, what, what, what's not here? Yeah. Um, Justin recommends that we do House of X, Powers of X, uh, which I don't know if we will, but I gotta read it. Fun comics. I gotta read it. He also makes a list of a bunch of characters that he thinks are Spider-Man-ish. Okay. That's really fun, um, which I'm not gonna read, but um, thank you. It's basically lots of characters. Yeah. But thank you, Justin. Thank you, Justin. Ethan Kellum wrote... Oh, Ethan Kellum wrote us before, Will. He asked us for supervillain plot advice. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so, he sa- I sent you an email a while back about a cheese plot that involved the Avengers. You gave me some good advice along the lines of renting out the Avenger mansion for an event to distract them. <laughs> I recently got married and it was the perfect venue. <laughs> but I unfortunately couldn't book it. It was surprisingly expensive. But yeah. I just wanted to say thank you for the advice and everything else you boys do. Oh, that's nice. Um, he also uh, read your book on improv, Will. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and one last one. This is from Tree. Okay. Tree Palmetto. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, he's talked a little bit about podcast. Intentionally or not, the three seasons of your show have proven to me that Ditko was superior to Kirby, even in action scenes. Might Kirby's be right. Candles- Kirby's panels look amazing, especially later in his career, but Ditko's fight choreography is just more interesting, uh, not to mention his skill at playing up a story's emotional aspects. I mean, I, I hope you'll talk a little bit more about Ditko's issues of Tales to Astonish before the season is up. We did a little bit. Uh, and or some other great Hulk stories. Do you want to comment on that before I read well, this Well, I, I think he might be right. I mean, I think that Ditko might be better than Kirby, even at stuff, even at action stuff. He's definitely better at comedy stuff. Um, and he's probably better at action stuff. Uh, I guess where Kirby is, what you get from Kirby that you don't get from Ditko is just like, I think joy, like Ditko tends to wallow in the sad, dark stuff, which does make for great stories. But Kirby stuff is like a romp way more often. And also Kirby just has a volume of ideas that is crazy. (laughs) I mean, like, yeah, he'll do 10 comics that are very, very good in the time that Ditko does one excellent one. Um, Here's, Here's my favorite thing about your response, Will. I feel like every time someone emails to say one is better than the other, you agree. I know. I, People I, write and be like, well, Kirby's for sure better than Ditko. And you're like, yeah, I mean, they're right. I'm an idiot. I know it's true. I, I, I am a leaf in the wind when it comes to like liking those guys. Um, yeah. What do you think? Uh, I, I think I prefer Ditko, but it's so hard to say who's sub, uh, objectively better. I don't know. It's really, it's really just uh, like what flavor do you like better? They're just both excellent flavors. I mean, yeah. Do you like pizza? Do you like cheeseburgers? They're both great. They can't do and the I think, thing the other one does. You know. I think Ditko was helped a lot because there was less of him. Yeah. Like if there was, if Ditko did Spider Man, Iron Man, Hulk, um, X Men, uh, everything but Fantastic Four. 
yeah. we might be like, oh, give me more of this Fantastic Four stuff. Because there's certainly tropes of Ditko's that get very tiresome, you know, and, and he and he hits in, think, certain things a lot, and that, that could get old. Yeah. But Ditko did just short runs on things. He never stayed on anything long. He, his impact on Marvel was huge, but small. Yeah. Like huge in import, but small in volume. Yeah. And, uh, and it, in a way, it's, you know, it's sort of like John Lennon to Paul McCartney, to put it into terms Will can understand. It's an advantage that you have by stopping, <laughs> right? There's less of you. So it's just like a little bit. It's like, oh, you know, you didn't have a chance to, to wear out your welcome. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like the Beatles, uh, you know, they made 12 or 13, depending how you count, incredible albums and then broke up. They're all amazing. Uh, if they had stayed together, which I wish they had, you would see them make not great albums just by law of averages. And like, mm-hmm. would that diminish their legacy? You but know, what if they didn't? If they were all great? Yeah. Now what talking. if they're still alive, still making great album after great album? I mean, now you're talking the dream. <laughs> uh, in that vein, a which Kirby comics or early Marvel comics do you wish Ditko had gotten his hands on? What would uh, he have been best suited for besides Spider-Man and Doctor Strange? I have an answer. Okay, what is it? The X-Men. Like, teenage, oh, I like it. Teenage emo, internal emotional stuff. That is Ditko's wheelhouse. Like five Spider-Men, you know, five like haunted teenagers teamed up, worried about their soap opera lives. That's that's Ditko land. Like what Len Wein and then Chris Claremont brought to the X-Men in the late 70s, early 80s, Ditko would have done in 1964 or whatever. That's interesting. He didn't do a lot of uh, team books. Yeah. I guess he liked the loan. He was a loner himself, right? So maybe that's that that suited him better. Yeah. He also did a lot of supporting cast, right? I mean, he, Thunderbolt Ross feels more uh, of a thing that he would love. Um, and even like in this one Hulk issue we covered, like he brings in more supporting cast. He brings in Talbot, Talbot and uh, eventually leader. Like he wants to expand the people for him to interact with uh, versus like just other superheroes. But yeah, I mean, uh, a Ditko Cyclops sounds exciting. Uh, a Ditko Angel would be great. Yeah. So yeah. And I think he would draw a great beast. I don't think he ever drew a great thing, but beast getting away from the rocks, he could draw like a tough guy thing really well, I think. Yeah. That's a good answer. I'm not going to give my own because I don't have one better than that. Yeah. Yeah, X-Men's the right answer. X-Men maybe would have been a hit and not gone into hibernation. Yeah. We've had a Ditko foundation. Um, Yeah. There also aren't too many to pick from. Like Kirby was better at Thor than Ditko. I think there's like no argument. Like it'd be interesting to see a Ditko take on Thor, but Kirby's it. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see Ditko's take on FF, but it would be such a radically different book that I almost don't think it's a fair comparison yeah, but X-Men, we'd see the X-Men that we eventually came to love a lot earlier, I think. If Ditko was on uh, Fantastic Four, I think Reed never becomes square-jawed or muscular. No, he, gets, he stays kind of scrawny and scientific, which I think is a cool read. Yeah. But I don't know whether he has a good beat on the other three. Any other email? Uh, that's it. All right. So uh, that's it for our Hulk season. Here's our plans going forward. We're going to have one more episode next week where we uh, talked to our friend Jera Mulligan. Uh, Jera, not Jera. Yeah. I just met him on the episodes, but he's a super comic book nerd, and I love talking to him. Yeah, Jera is on the Astronomy Club. They are a sketch comedy group that just did a show on Netflix. He also co-hosts a podcast called uh, Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood, where he, Jonathan Braylock, and James III uh, review movies and how they further the black cause 
And that's a great podcast. And Gerard is just a funny, charismatic, excited guy. And he was really fun to have on the podcast. He's a super nerd for sure. And uh, it's fun to talk to him. We talk about Batman's uh, The Last Night. And then that that's sort of like a little bonus episode that's part of the season, even though it's unrelated to the Hulk. And then we'll end this season, very short break. I don't know how long, one week, two weeks. And then we're going to come back with another season where we talk about Kevin, you want to reveal? Yeah, we're going to do the Justice League International. So this was the Justice League series that Keith Giffen sort of was the brains behind. Kevin McGuire did the early art, and it was James Tomatis right there at the beginning. I don't remember. I'm embarrassed to say, uh, but James Tomatis was a big part of it, if nothing else. And it sort of became like a humorous Justice League series that followed up uh, ages and ages of just sort of by-the-numbers superhero teams. Uh, It was also sort of the leftover heroes era, I would say, because it was like one of the first Justice Leagues, I think, where, uh, not necessarily the first, but like it felt like they did not get the rights to any of the big characters. Like Superman's not in the league. Wonder Woman's not in the league. Uh, Hal Jordan is not in the league. They get a different Green Lantern. Batman's there, but only sometimes. Kevin and I had read it when it came out, and and I was a teenager, and Kevin was... Pre preteen, that's right, uh, and uh, we loved like it. most tweens. I was into Guy Gardner, Green Lantern <laughs> stories, and um, we loved it. We were already huge Keith Giffen fans, and we love this series, so we're excited to go over it. I think this is where I became a huge Keith Giffen fan because I had read Ambush Bug and liked it okay, but I don't know if I'd read much else by him. Yeah, you went big on Keith Giffen. I was a huge Ambush Bug fan, and so I I loved this. But I'm excited to talk about Justice League, and also we want to do a DC book because we've only done Marvel books so far. And something that's not from the 60s. Yeah, we're getting really current. It's only 30 years old. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so that's going to be our next season. But again, next week we'll be talking to Draw about a Batman comic book. Then we'll take a week or two off, and then we'll be back with the Justice League International. All right. I think we're going to do the first eight issues. Yes, I think that's right. So, And there currently is a Justice League International omnibus that I think covers the first 12 issues. And maybe an annual, and maybe the suicide. They team up with Suicide Squad in there. Maybe anyway, uh, it's it's like thirty bucks. It's a great it's a great value. A lot of comics. That's the best way to probably follow along with that run. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Kevin, good job. I'll see you next episode. See you with Jara. Bye. Bye. Smash. Hey, stoners, this is James Mastriani, host of I'm Too and High. We've got a really fun live show coming at you on March 19th, Thursday at 9.30. It's the I'm Too and High presents a variety show. It's at the Original Cannabis Cafe. It's a really fun venue. You're going to be able to come and smoke weed with us. We've got some amazing guests. Joel Kim Booster, Zach Reno and Jessica McKenna, Luke Knoll, Ever Maynard, Ian Abramson, The Quickness. You can smoke. You can eat. It's a great atmosphere, and it's only 10 bucks. Get your tickets at I'm2FNHigh.com.